This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 242, and we're recording on July 28th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. No. <laughs> just, just no. <laughs> just no. I was been, I've been on vacation for a week, and my brain has not fully eased back into thinking about work. So the words that I make for the next hour are going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to this adventure. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Well, fun for me. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> We're going to find out. All right. So... How the show works, it's a show, and we make words with our mouths at you. (laughs) Okay, that's over. So as I mentioned, it's a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you send us your reading recommendation requests, whether you need, like, you know, you read X book and want something similar, or you need a gift, or you're going somewhere and you want to read something about that place. Whatever the case may be, you can email those requests to us at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can use the form in the show notes on the site. Either way, if a question is time sensitive, please let us know. If you use the email, just put it in the subject line. Uh, If you're using the form in the show notes, then put it in big letters in the first line so that we can see it. If we don't get to your question on time or we've already answered your, uh, your question on the show previously, then we will email you back, which is why we ask for your email. All right, we've got, ooh, we've got a lot of feedback here. So much feedback. <laughs> so Kim says, for the person who was looking for Eric Larson read-alikes, may I suggest Douglas Preston's Monster of Florence, a later edition with his epilogue tying it into the Amanda Knox case. Whoo, Lord. <laughs> That's a big one. Okay, um, let's see. Wendy says, for Heidi, looking for queer rep space fantasy, how about Dawn by Octavia Butler? I also recommend the, uh, ooh, Caffinon, book one in the Chronicles of Alcia series by Fletcher Delancey. All right, from Charlene. For Lauren from episode 239, I recently read Instant Mom by Nia Vardalos of My Big Fat Greek Wedding fame. I really enjoyed it, especially on audio. She narrates it herself, and it feels like you're out getting coffee together and chatting about life and also about this huge and difficult and rewarding, all-consuming thing that was their journey to find and adopt their daughter. Uh, Cosign. I love that Mm -hmm. book. It's very, very funny. Christy says, again, another suggestion for the person looking for Eric Larson read-alikes, I would highly recommend Young Men and Fire by Norman McLean. He's better known for having written A River Runs Through It. Young Men and Fire is his investigation into the 1949 Manglitch smoke jumper tragedy where 13 men died. Yikes. Reads like a mystery. They never found out what happened or why the men became trapped in the forest fire. It's completely riveting. Oh, that sounds traumatizing. Okay, Amber, listener feedback for the reader requesting an underrated tour novella, J.Y. Yang's Tensorit series. We would obviously co-sign that, but I don't know if we could call it underrated because we rate it a lot on this show. We talk about it a lot on the show. That's fine. Okay, Lee, I have a recommendation for Sarah from episode 237 asking for books about Iran, The Septembers of Shiraz by Dahlia Sofer, family drama set around the Iranian Revolution. Okay, last bit of feedback from Laura. For the person who requested a Parks and Rec recommendation, and did I miss that? You missed was that, that on the that episode. Was with Jeff, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> no. Okay. For the person who requested a Parks and Rec recommendation, In the Shadow of Statues by Mitch Landrio is a memoir by a white Southern mayor of New Orleans talking about racism and leadership. He removed Confederate statues during his tenure. That is big Leslie. Nope. 
energy. Okay, <laughs> we are going to <laughs> do our first question and hear from our first sponsor and away we will go. All right. Our first question is from Amy, who says, I'm needing recommendations for my husband. He's a lover of John Sanford novels, anything by Bernard Cornwell, Greek mythology, and anything World War II. He loves research, so all the details, but he does appreciate a good plot. I'd love him to read something not written by a cis white male, giving him other perspectives and views. All right. Let's do our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so recommendations for Amy's husband. I'll just keep talking because you talked a lot up there. <laughs> so I picked American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, which was one of Book Riot's best books of 2019. I'm waiting on my library hold. But it was like super highly rated by basically everybody who read it over here at Book Riot. And I'm so excited to read it. It is a book, as you might guess, about a spy. <laughs> Surprise. It's a Cold War book. And, you know, I think that I, at least I have found most people who are super into World War II also are like peripherally interested in the Cold War or can get on board. Um, and it is about a woman named Marie Mitchell, who is an intelligence officer with the FBI. It's 1986. She's the only like young black woman working in a very white old boys club, obviously. And she's like doing a lot of obnoxious paperwork. She's bored. So she gets an opportunity to join a task force aimed at undermining the president of Burkina Faso, 
who is like, you know, a communist. And so, of course, America is like, absolutely not. So she mm. says yes. She's like, OK, God, get me out of this office. Like, I'll do some field work. But but she's conflicted because she actually secretly admires the work that this politician is doing. She's also grieving over the mysterious death of her sister. So, like, there's a lot going on in her personal life. And so she goes and she ends up seducing him and like being involved in a coup. But she also like finds all these things about herself and about America and about, you know, the FBI. So it's like a it's like a page turner based in fact and history with a really interesting character that you wouldn't normally see. So I feel like this hits all of the buttons. And it's definitely, I think, a good comp for, like, those John Sanford novels. So, but, you know, by a Black woman. So that's great. So, again, that's American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. All right. I picked The Mercies by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. And I picked this because your husband seems to uh, really be into like kind of gritty historical fiction based around like war and frightening things that happen in the world. And The Mercies is like, whoa, very (laughs) similar. So it's based on a true story in Norway in the 1600s. And it's like in a coastal village um, where all of the men have died. <laughs> it's like 40 dudes. Oh, they're, they're all fishermen. They go out to fish one day. They all get caught in a storm. Everybody drowns. Every single man in this village is gone. And so the women just kind of like go on about their lives being fisherwomen and feeding themselves and raising their kids and like doing the thing. And they are pretty much left alone until three years after that, a man named Absalom comes from Scotland and he is ostensibly a preacher but he's actually a witch hunter so he comes to this norwegian island where there are no men where women have been living independently with no need for men and i'm sure you can figure out where that goes mostly to witch hunting is where that goes there's a lot of burnings at the stake there's a lot of just really frightening religious oppression he brings his wife who is such a fascinating character because her name is ursa because she's like deeply into his like authority and his intelligence and like the things that he believes but she's also of course totally terrified by all of it because at any moment he could decide that she looked at him sideways and that she's a witch for that reason and so you know all he sees when he goes there is to this like wild cold northern wasteland is untamed women and so his brain is immediately like well obviously satan lives here (laughs) and the terrifying thing about this of course is that it actually happened and actually, I Googled this after I'd read it. Like, I Googled the, the Vardo storm and Finnmark, the, the village where it, ha- where it took place. And they've j- just recently erected a um, monument to the women who died in, the, in these witch trials. Um, so it's still very much on the mind of the people living in Norway, like very fresh. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, gotta, it's a good comp for Bernard Cornwall because those books are so violent and so like full of, you know, true stuff that happened that is hard to read. And I think that this is uh, similar. It's fascinating period of t- or fascinating period of time. I don't usually think of like Scandinavia when I think of the wi- of like witch trials or witch hunting. Like it's a very Salem kind of thing to me, um, or like the uh, uh, crusade, not the crusades, uh, Inquisition, the Inquisition. Yeah, like Spain, like Catholics, that kind of thing. But Norway, who'd have thunk it? So that's the Mercies by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Okay, book uh, book two. Question two is from Anne, who says, I would dearly love a book where the protagonist is a taboo hybrid, i.e. their parents are from two different species and they face stigma from one or both sides or from society at large. I would also prefer something recent-ish. Old sci-fi or fantasy has its place, but I want something with more modern attitudes and a diverse cast. Okay, don't read this paragraph out loud because it's spoilers. Okay, well, I'm not going to read the paragraph out loud. Uh, Jen, what you got? 
I picked the first in a two-book series, Serafina by Rachel Hartman. I read this when it came out, and I feel like, based on your paragraph that we did not read out loud, it is definitely in your wheelhouse. It is an alternate medieval fantasy, and the main character, Serafina, is a hybrid human dragon, which is like 100% not okay. She has to keep it hidden. Nobody can know. And she like lives it. She's part of the court of the, you know, ruler or whatever. She's an extremely gifted musician. And she joins the court just as a member of the royal family is murdered. And she actually gets brought into this investigation by the prince who is like, very perceptive and maybe has noticed that she's not a vanilla human like she's posing. And so she has to protect her identity, protect her place at court, try to figure out, like, how can she fit in with things? Like, how does she fit? And it's so... Oh, the feelings, like the feelings in this book. Oh, my gosh. So many feelings. And it's a really fascinating, like, the dragons in this book are so different from a lot of other dragons in fantasy. It's super interesting. I don't want to tell you too much more um, because I want you to like experience the joy of this book for yourself. But it really is a really different take. And I just loved it. I thought it was really great. I have been told by Friends I Trust that the second book is also fantastic. I just never have gotten around to it. But one day it will happen. And it's just it's really good. I think you'll I think you'll dig it. So again, Serafina by Rachel Hartman. Um, Okay, I picked Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, and this is a graphic novel series that's on volume, I don't even know, eight, maybe more. So there's lots of story for you to get into. And the main character, well, it depends on your perspective, but to me, the main (laughs) character is Hazel. The narrator, how about that, is Hazel, who is a little girl when the book opens, like in volume one, first page, she is being born. So like literal little girl. Her parents are Alana and Marco. And he is from, well, they're from different planets, these planets, uh, Mo- uh, Mooney, I think, and Landfall. And the, these two planets have been warring for, like, generations. Um, there's a lot of racial animosity or species animosity, depending on who you ask in the book. And, like, Alana has wings and Marco has horns on his head. They're obviously two different whatevers. And he, these characters, so they, I, I, like, they're just real and vulgar and heartwarming and charming and perfect and they meet in like a prisoner of war camp because they obviously they're fighting for their respective sides they fall in love it's very romeo and juliet uh she gets pregnant and they escape and so now they're on the run with this baby and both of their governments are hunting them because this baby like should not exist angry fist shaking and they're also on the run from like a prince from another planet who has a TV for it for a head, no. uh, a couple of bounty hunters, one of whom has a lion cat, which is like a lion sized house cat who can tell when you tell you when you're lying and is the best character in any comic book ever. There's a lot of side plots about like the lives of the bounty hunters and the lives of this prince with the TV for its head and uh, why they're after these two characters and their family. Um, they've got their own family drama, like, you know. Their parents probably, maybe, most definitely will not approve of this this coupling and the fact that they've had a child together. But it's very much about, you know, love that should not exist, this family that should not exist, and how it's going to go out and, like, save the world. It's super, super violent, very violent, mm-hmm. very graphically sexual. Like, there's a lot of weird, let me, let me stop and emphasize this, 
weird stuff happening in this book. Um, the imaginations of Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples are both fascinating and like not a place I'd want to live forever, but absolutely <laughs> will visit when reading Saga. <laughs> so that is Saga, Volume 1 by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Just like a blanket cosign for all of that. Go. It's beautiful. I love it so much. Also, this has nothing to do with the plot, but it was the first... Like, when I started reading comics, it was because of Saga. I started reading because Saga came out, and I saw it in, like, Barnes & Noble, and the first collected edition had Elena on the front cover, and she was a brown woman breastfeeding a baby. And I had never seen either of those things, frankly, much less combined, on the cover of a comic book. And so that's, that's what got me into reading comics, so... It was super controversial, that cover. They had to fight. Barely. They had huge fights about it. And like yeah. some places wouldn't carry it. Wouldn't stock it. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was fascinating. So that, I will just warn you that that series is ongoing and they are on mm-hmm. hiatus for a while. Mm-hmm. So as you blaze through it, like, I mean, there's a lot of catching up you can do, but you are going to hit a point where you're going to want to throw things because it's not done. Welcome. Welcome. That's right. Welcome. Okay. Welcome to <laughs> Our next question is from A Drop in the Ocean, who says, I'm f- at my job. I am forever scrutinizing fine details and analyzing mistakes in math, coding, etc. in front of a computer. Oftentimes, I feel like I get so lost in minute matters that don't impact anyone else in the world beyond my employer. I'm seeking a book that will give me perspective into some bigger picture, some kind of overarching grand scale or all-important subject that will make me feel both small and a part of a larger-than-my-life community. When I try to think as broadly as possible about subjects to fit this description, outer space, nature, in the ecosystem, dinosaurs or formations of civilization and humanity come to mind as possibilities. I'm sure there are a million books on such subjects. However, I'm not one for scientific or historical technical reading. The trick will be to find something easy to follow that reads like or is fiction and doesn't make my eyes glaze over. I didn't make it through Neil deGrasse's audiobook. I hope you can help find something to satisfy my request. Okay. I will keep talking. I picked for you a getbook chestnut that we haven't talked about mm-hmm. in a while. So here we are. It's Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. This book is about nature and plants and botany. It is also about indigenous land stewardship and motherhood and like reconnecting with your own heritage and language. It's about so many huge topics, but it's also intensely and beautifully personal. Kimmerer is a like trained doctor of botany or whatever you are when you have all of the degrees in botany. And she's also a citizen of the Potawatomi Nation. And she is in this book trying to braid together those two threads, Western science and native knowledge. And, you know, figuring out like how to bridge them. She's also considering her own life as a mother. She's considering life in her like tiny upstate, you know, community. She talks about like, you know, making maple syrup from trees and trying to like pull all the weeds out of her pond and also her struggles to learn, you know, uh, like the native language that she, you know, didn't learn growing up and just all of these different threads. And she weaves them together so beautifully. So you really do feel like you're getting this sort of zoomed in version of her life 
and how it connects with these huge issues. And it gave me different ways to think about the way that I interact both with other people and the world around me, which I feel like is the thing that you're looking for, is a sense of connection. And this is just such an interesting and eye-opening and really like so readable meditation on our connections with the natural world. So super highly recommended. Again, that's Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Okay, I picked The Overstory by Richard Powers, which comes with trigger warnings for suicide and self-harm. I think this might do the trick for you because it's about trees (laughs) and how the lives of trees are ongoing and far-reaching and generational and so he does he tells the story in such a really interesting way like the the structure is really fascinating it's chapters about individual people or families most often families and their life centered around some tree so like the opening story is about a family of immigrants who come from Sweden, I want to say, and moved to the Midwest um, and like become farmers and from the 1800s to modern day. And the patriarch of this family plants a tree. I think it's an American chestnut outside of his farm. And then it's like you are with this family as they live, die, you know, grow up, have children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and that tree is growing up outside. And then the next story is about a family that immigrates from, I think it's China and the mulberry tree that they grow outside of their house and like the the trauma that they experience in their lives set against this tree growing or getting sick or whatever. And then as the story continues, the characters that you get in the first part, you see later and you like kind of follow them and find out what's happening to them. The plot, I don't, you know, like, I don't know that the summarizing the plot is necessarily the interesting sell point for you. I think the sell point for you is that it's very, very much about the everlasting kind of nature of nature. Like, that's a weird way to put yeah. it. But how nature is everlasting, especially when set against the the interpersonal dramas of human life, which feel so big and powerful and important to us and are big and powerful and important, but in like the grand scheme of the planet are pretty irrelevant. However, uh, it's also a book with an environmental message about even though human, an individual human's life is kind of a blink compared to like the life of an oak, we are still doing what will soon be irreparable damage to those populations of trees. So it's got a pretty strong environmental message. It's definitely about like things that are bigger than humans, but it, it tells that story through these really fascinating stories about humanity. I will say that Richard Powers, and I said this last time I recommended it, comes way out of his lane in this book a few times. And so there are might be a few points in this book that you're like, mm, you are not the person who should be telling this particular kind of story. Like it's not on Voices super a lot like many times it's not Um, but it still I think is is kind of what you're looking for so that's the overstory by Richard Powers all right question four is from Melissa who says hello I am a tri-racial female I am Japanese German and Filipino and was hoping you could guide me to some good books with a protagonist or author with some experience in that regard specifically what it is like not being enough of either one of those things to quite fit in with any of the crowds. Please find something poignant but humorous if possible. I'd love to read from someone who can have a humorous point of view but can still be deeply moving. I'm not very good at handling reads with an angry chip on the shoulder type person at the moment. Um, I would like something positive or hopeful. I've enjoyed works from authors like Jhumpa Lahiri, Amy Bloom, Marilyn Robinson, and Terry Tempest Williams. Okay, Jen, what you got? I am recommending Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, who was born during apartheid in South Africa and was born to a white father and a Zosha mother. And that was like, literally, you could go to prison. So he had to stay indoors for like early childhood. And then when uh, apartheid fell, 
like how now you like are going to be out in the world but like how do you fit into this world when you were literally like you know a crime before that and obviously trevor noah is hilarious right like (laughs) he is professionally funny um (laughs) but this book is also you know goes into the feelings goes deep into the feelings and if you are an audio reader he reads the audio so you know that is an experience that you can have that you might enjoy deeply and yeah, this is just like, I just like don't know what else to say. Like, I feel like this is exactly what you're looking for. It deals with really serious issues and, you know, trying to bridge or being a, a combination of things that like you don't know how to fit into places and also extremely funny. So again, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Okay, I picked Somewhere in the Middle by Deborah Francisco Douglas. The subtitle of this is A Journey to the Philippines in Search of Roots, Belonging, and Identity. Deborah is half Filipino and half white. She lives in America, is raised in America, and feels very disconnected as a young adult uh, with her Filipino side. She doesn't speak Tagalog or any of the other languages of the Philippines and like just was not raised with a deep connection to that country. And so as an adult, when she comes out of college, she gets uh, she volunteers for the Peace Corps and she gets assigned to go to the Philippines, which is like super exciting for her. And she thinks, I'm going to go. I'm going to learn some Tagalog. I'm going to like connect with my people, you know, and it's going to be really meaningful and awesome. And they're going to like tell me who I am. And that is, as I'm sure you can imagine, not what happens. <laughs> she gets to the Philippines and is has complete culture shock, like the way that time works there is completely different from the way Americans like to do things. You know, like she's there's roosters waking her up at all hours. She's got to take baths in a bucket. Like the kids follow her up and down the street when she walks because her accent is funny. And she's like pale, like light skinned and it just isn't what she expects. She's treated like an outsider because she is one. Like you, you don't speak this language. You are not from here. And, you know, she doesn't understand the cultural norms. She's there for, I think, a year or two years. And so it's really just a memoir about her adjusting as an American to living in the Philippines. Um, where she looks like she should belong, but does not feel like she does. And the people in the neighborhood where she's staying are very welcoming and like, try, you know, like she lives with a family as a Peace Corps volunteer. She's placed with a family who tried to teach her some of the language. Um, and she has to do her work as a Peace Corps volunteer. Uh, she like teaches music to some teenagers in the neighborhood. So through her experience of like living there and trying to feel or trying to figure out something about her own self, she kind of figures out that like I'm using these people as as like identity tourism almost. It's just really thought provoking and interesting because my story is very similar to hers. I'm not half Filipino. I'm a quarter Filipino, but I was not raised. I had contact with my grandmother who's from Manila, but I, I was not raised with that culture at all. And I would love to go to the Philippines, but I don't speak Tagalog and I don't know the culture. And I would feel very much like a tourist because, you know, I would be a tourist. Um, and so that like, I don't belong here, but I kind of belong here, but I kind of don't, but I kind of do feeling that you're describing, uh, she's very, very much talking about in this book. And it's not, there's no chip on the shoulder. Like she's, she's not a, a humor writer by any means, but it's a very lighthearted, positive, um, hopeful, optimistic, heartfelt kind of memoir. So that's somewhere in the middle. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. By Deborah Francisco Douglas. All right, let us take another sponsor break. Our next question is from Beth, who says, I've started on the Read Harder 2020 challenge, and I'm trying to find a horror book by an indie press that I might enjoy. I don't tend to like horror books or movies, so this one so far is a struggle. I do have two horror comic slash graphic novels I didn't mind. Those were Lock and Key by Joe Hill and Morning Glories by Nick Spencer. Any help would be greatly appreciated. We also had another question on this topic from Deborah, who is also looking for a horror book by an indie press. Uh, Deborah says, I enjoy books that I call creepy. Think Shirley Jackson, Neil Gaiman. Other similar books I've enjoyed are The Changeling by Victor Laval, The Merry Spinster, especially The Velveteen Rabbit retelling, uh, and The Book of Lost Things by John Connolly. Can you help me find an indie press book that has the same creepy vibes? So I picked a book that's not out yet because I am the worst this year. (laughs) But it comes out in October, which gives you plenty of time to read it for the Read Harder Challenge you have until December. And it's short. It's very extremely short. And it's very extremely creepy. It is extremely creepy. It's called Elegy for the Undead by Matthew Vizelli. It's coming out from Lanternfish Press, which is a Philadelphia publisher that I love. Shout out to Lanternfish. (laughs) And oh, man, this book, let me tell you. Wow. Okay. So it is about a gay couple, Jude and Lyle, who survive a zombie outbreak in Philadelphia, but Lyle is bitten 
And he actually manages to get a new, like, antiviral, you know, it's supposed to be a cure injected into him within, like, very shortly after the bite, but it's not working. Instead, he's just very slowly deteriorating, and there will come a day when he turns and has to die for the safety of those around him. But, like, you know, for better or for worse, like, Jude and Lyle are in this together. And so the book, which is so well-structured, is like, it's. I was thinking about how to describe this book, and I was like, it's kind of like a gay Lily Tux, I married you for happiness, plus zombies. Like, it's it's the two of them reflecting back on, like, how they met and how they came together and the ups and downs of their relationship, which are all just, like, so deeply felt and so beautifully captured. And then these chapters of, like, gore and violence and horror around the zombie attacks that they lived through and, like, the things that they had to do to survive. And, and then... Lyle's deteriorating condition and how Jude feels about like watching his husband succumb to this and like what is Jude gonna have to do at the end I mean it is so so many so like big feelings um in the same way especially the changeling by Victor Lavelle like you're taking this like sort of theoretically mundane topic like parenting or marriage and then you're injecting these like horror vibes into it and seeing what happens and it is really intense it's really intense I loved it it is also I think not going to be for everyone because it is a tragic gay story and I know that a lot of folks are just like not interested emotionally in those stories which is fair Shauna McGuire had a very interesting Twitter thread on why she loved this book also that I will link to in the show notes because I think it gets into some interesting territory around that topic. But anyway, Elegy for the Undead by Matthew Vizelli comes out in October. Highly recommended. Okay, I picked the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Greedy Hendricks, which is out from Quirk. It comes with a trigger warning for racism and harm to children. This book was pitched to me as Steel Magnolias meets Dracula. And look, I'm wearing my Steel Magnolias t-shirt right now. So it feels appropriate to be talking about this book. (laughs) I loved it so much. I know. I love it. It's got all their names. Weezer's my favorite. Weezer is just my soulmate. Anyway, so this is about a woman named Patricia. And she lives in the like early 90s in a southern community. Is it in Charleston? I'm pretty sure it's in South Carolina. And very suburban. She was a successful nurse in her career and then met a like handsome doctor and left her career to raise his children. They live in suburbia and they're just like doing that thing, right? Early 90s. Just the parents in every episode of Stranger Things. Like that is Patricia and her horrible husband. Um, And then a new dude moves into town, into the house next door that was uh, living, was living, was owned by an old woman who dies and he is her nephew. And so her nephew, who like is grown, comes, moves in to the neighborhood and at first Patricia is like oh single dude let me like bring him a pie because he probably can't cook you know that kind of thing but then she starts to notice like some weird stuff about this guy at the same time she is a member of a book club she has pulled together some of her friends other suburban you know stay-at-home moms from the neighborhood they read like real trashy true crime novels which I love but they tell their husbands they're doing a bible study Okay. And so over the years, they have been (laughs) spending all of this time with each other, like drinking their white Zinfandel and talking about these true crime books. And so then this guy moves in and some like weird stuff starts happening where children start going missing from the neighborhood. Except it's not her part of the neighborhood. It's the black part of the neighborhood. So like no one's really that concerned about it. But she is. uh, And she starts figuring out that like this guy who's moved into town has something to do with it. 
And she puts together this case that collects evidence that something weird is happening and goes to present it to her husband and to all of the husbands, to the like women in this book club. And they completely write her off, totally gaslight her. And it turns out that like they are in business with this guy. And also it turns out he's kind of a vampire. I will say to you that the real villain of this novel is heterosexual marriage. So... <laughs> Like, for real skis. And I did not realize that until Tirza Price, who writes our Read This Book newsletter, pointed that out on Instagram. <laughs> you know, she she runs our Book Riot YA Instagram handle also, which is really great. has great content. You should go follow that. But she put something in her stories that was like, I just finished this book and heterosexual marriage is awful. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're, that is 1000% the real villain. Because every intelligent thing that every wife in this book experience like says and expresses and every time they go to fight for justice they're like stopped by these dingus dudes it's awful it's really really difficult to read on top of the horror element of like there is a vampire in town and so because no one believes them they have to go defend their children like literally their biological children but also their children as in like there's no such thing as other people's kids, all the kids in the neighborhood from this predator, like actual predator in the the very literal sense of I will hunt you, pray, vampire. So it's creepy on a lot of levels, never getting remarried, just <laughs> saying. Okay, so that's the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. All right, question six is from Oshetta, who says, it feels like every time I turn on the news or scroll through my news feed, I'm reminded how terrible people can be to each other. Also, I'm a teacher, and this year I'm crafting a six-week class on racism in America and then taking my students to a week-long trip into the South to visit places where those injustices took place. So I'm good with heavy and heartbreaking reads for now. My 2020 fiction goal was to read books with only intensely likable protagonists, no shady characters, no unreliable narrators, and so I want to spend 2020 meeting characters who are just really good, have kind hearts, and are endearing to others. If they live in a quirky little town or have a ragtag group of found family, all the better. Okay, I doubt you're going on that trip, but I'm like to the South to visit those places. But you still, I mean, all of this still applies, like books that aren't heavy and heartbreaking with intensely likable protagonists. A plus, yes. Okay, Jen, what you got? I picked a graphic novel. It's not part of a series. You said you wanted series. I'm sorry. But I think you're going to love this graphic novel. It's Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Shu. And talk about the most likable characters of ever. The main character, Nova, is a teenage witch who works at her, like, married grandmother's bookshop, where they're in a tiny New England town. Everybody is super quirky. And, you know, they loan out spell books and they investigate supernatural occurrences. And she, her childhood crush, Tam, who, like, moved away when they were younger and she hasn't seen in years, suddenly turns back up. Tam is a werewolf, side note. And <laughs> Great side note. It's great side note. And uh, Tam is, like, battling this horse demon who has now suddenly, you know, shown up in the woods. And so Tam and Nova are, like, reconnecting and falling in love, but also have to fight demons with the help of their grandmothers. And it's just so freaking heartwarming and sweet. There is some, there are some dark moments. There's, like, a terrible cult and, like, bad things have happened to some of these characters. But it is, uh, it is 100% about the power of friendship and love. And it is so accepting, these families. And the cast is so inclusive and diverse. And everybody is just, like, 
a cinnamon roll that you want to hug, except for the villains who are bad. So it is not complicated. Like, it is super uncomplicated, extremely beautiful and adorable, and I love it a lot. Uh, So again, that's Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Shu. Okay, I picked the Bromance Book Club series by Lisa K. Adams. The first book is also called The Bromance Book Club. I think the second book is out, but I'm not sure about the third. And so this is a romance series that I just heart hands. Like I'm making heart hands with my hands right now. You cannot see me. It's like when I do jazz hands, no one can see me. I don't want to do I don't know why I do these things. Anyway, so the hero's name is Gavin. And he lives in Nashville with his wife, Thea. And they are they've been married for like three years. Um, they got married because she got pregnant and they have twin girls. Gavin and Thea are their marriage is not in a great place. He is a professional baseball player for whatever team is in Nashville. I don't know. And she is like staying home. She was a uh, an artist and is now like raising their children. Um, they get into a huge fight right before the book opens because Gavin discovers that she's been faking her orgasms and he like moves out. Uh, because he she he like cannot accept that he's been lying to her he's not willing to look at the ways and like where their marriage got to that place um and so he leaves and he gets roped in to this book club with one of his with his best friend who is also a professional baseball player and some other like men from about town who were like very successful and kind of high powered and fancy and the pitch is like you come to this book club we're going to help you we're going to help you get your wife back we're going to figure this thing out And so he shows up and it turns out that this book club reads Regency romance novels and use them as like manuals. Like they're using Regency romance novels to help themselves figure out how to be vulnerable and intimate and emotionally available to their wives and to like do emotional labor through romance novels. I love it. Like I am dead. I am slain. I'm on the floor. (laughs) No longer conscious. It's amazing. And it's like these burly, like they're all alphas, right? Like they're all these like big burly. And of course, Gavin, his first reaction is like, I'm no, not going to do I'm not going to do that. That's that's going to be a no from me. But all of the men are like, we we had marriage difficulties. We had dating difficulties with our girlfriends and have saved our relationships and are extremely happy, you know, doing the thing. So like you could pass if you want to pass. But if you really want to save this, this is like the way to go. And so he agrees. So he starts reading this Regency romance novel, which like the parts of the novel that he's reading are interspersed throughout this book. And it's so good. It's it's just, it's amazing. And sometimes like he picks up on stuff from the, the novel, the romance novel that he's like reading it wrong and his attempts to apply it to his relationship go terribly. <laughs> and it's really, really funny. But you know, it's a romance novel. So you know that it works. Like it works and they happily ever after and all that. But everyone is so likable there, but not in the same way. Like her sister, Thea's sister is also a side character who gets her own book later. And she's like real brush and like brass. And if you know, if you are into the Enneagram, she's definitely an eight. She's like a bartender. And all the dudes in the in the bromance book club have very distinct and interesting personalities and are like funny and weird and quirky in their own way. Nashville's not necessarily not like a small town, but they do talk about in the book about why they decided to live in the neighborhood in Nashville that they do because it feels like a small town. So you get a little bit of that vibe, which is nice. But it's just like pleasant and goofy and, you know, charming. So that's The Bromance Book Club by Lisa K. Adams. That is going on my TBR ASAP. It's so cute. I'm making everyone in my book club read it, but not like as a book club pick. I'm like coming to them individually and being like, hello, can you please read this book? Everyone read it. It dovetails nicely with that bromance book club story that's been floating around. Yes, it was in Men's Health, for those of you who don't know. Well, a mental health it. journalist, yeah, like started an actual bromance book club with his friends. 
It's great. Good stuff. There's hope. There's hope, yeah. y'all. <laughs> All right. Our last question is from everyone who finished Gideon the Ninth, LOL, <laughs> uh, who says, what are we reading to soothe our heartbreak and siphon souls after Gideon the Ninth? Well, First of all, the sequel's coming out later this year. You're going to love it. I've read it. It is so freaking good. And like a very different, it's very different from the first one, which I love. It like mixes things up in a way I was not expecting. It's fantastic. But I I feel you. We feel your pain is mm-hmm. what we're saying. We're, we feel your pain. I, hilariously enough, I'm going to talk about the Tensorate series by J.Y. Neon Yang, Yay. which was referenced in the feedback. So good. Uh, trigger warning for a lot of harm to children in a lot of different ways. It's kind of rough in certain moments. But there are four novellas in this series. You need to read them all. They are so good. And the reason I picked it is, I think for the same reasons Amanda picked her pink, like everybody's cranky, everybody's queer, and the world building is super weird and unexpected, which is, I I think it's really hard to sum up what Gideon the Ninth is like, but that's, that's pretty much... That's the tweet. Like, that's every everybody's queer. It's very weird and everyone's cranky. Like, that's basically the thread uh, that is a through line here. And I love the Tensor series because it is silk punk, which, if you're not aware, is a fusion of Asian culture and history and mythology into, like, sci-fi and fantasy. So in this series, there's, like dinosaur dragons kind of that people can like bond with and ride around there's also you know a very important monastery there is also human experimentation which is not great there's a brother and sister relationship that is oh give me so many feels there's multiple romance situations there are really interesting meditations on power and love and how those two like do or do not intersect there's a sibling story that just like oh breaks my heart every time oh my gosh there's so many amazing things in this series and like that's what i tell you i just i feel like i could go deeper into specific plot depictions but like why just go just pick up the first one read it and then continue on until you have read all of them i think they will soothe your soul a little bit give you a really amazing fantasy slash sometimes science fictional world to play around in and you're gonna love these characters so much so again that is the tensorate series by jy neon yang Okay, I picked Escaping Exodus by Nikki Drayden, which comes with trigger warnings for body horror. And I feel like that's understating it. Like, it's gross. It's icky. If you've read the Cameron Hurley book, well, what's it called? Legion Star thing. I don't remember what it's called. The Stars are Legion. The Stars are Legion. Yeah. And that like, everything is sticky. I don't know what fluid I'm in right now. Kind of. That's exactly ugh, ah, just gross. Okay. So uh, Escaping Exodus is about a woman named Susky, who is the heir to the command of this like starship that is alive. Like they live in these, I don't even know how to, they almost sounded like bugs to me. People live in these giant living starships and they like carve them up in different ways to make them livable for their community. Um, And so like, you know, they're going to turn the arteries into mass transit, you know, just like really weird and out there kind of stuff. So that's, that's the plan. And it's the cycle that they go through in this clan is like, they kind of excavate this new ship, they get into it, which is like, at that point, it's barely alive or functioning, and have 
their community exists in there. They use up all the resources over the course of like 10 years. Uh, and then they do this really highly coordinated exodus where they come back and they go into stasis until they can find a new one. So it's like that cycle of using up a ship and then finding a new one. The society that she lives in is like really matriarchal. Everyone is extremely cranky. And the love interest in this book is another woman who is politically a lot more revolutionary than the main character and is like not having, you know, the way that things function in their society. It's just like Jen was saying, it's weird. It's very gay. Everyone is grumpy all the time. <laughs> um, at the The main character does come to some like really great kind of political conclusions by the end of it. But you have to hang with her because in the same way that Gideon is like, just a 12-year-old bro at the gym. That's what she reminded me of. Like every young college student bro, like a human frat paddle. Like that's what Gideon is. And that's exactly who this character Skeski reminded me of. Just just grumpy and I don't know, in the way that you're like, I mean, but I get it. <laughs> like your life has definitely justified this grumpiness. So I'm kind of here for it. Um, so anyway, I think it'll scratch out that it's also the the world of Gideon the Ninth is so strange and like oddly built and uncomfortable and like weird to be in. And the world of escaping Exodus is like that too, but like on a much bigger, grosser, stickier scale. I keep saying sticky, but that's like correct. <laughs> like it is uh, weird. Okay, so I'm going to stop making sounds. That's Escaping Exodus by Nikki Drayden. I am deceased. <laughs> <laughs> and also have to co-sign everything Amanda said. I was so angry when I looked at the agenda and realized I hadn't thought of that and that she had because it's perfect. It's a perfect yeah. comp, except that there's only one, but which sucks. But it's so good. True. But Nikki Drayden writes books really fast. And I all, know. And, and her books are pretty similar in that like very weird, very grumpy main characters. True, true. Like weird world, grumpy main characters. Okay, so that's our show. <laughs> Huzzah! Thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you for listening. Please go leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. I'm also primarily on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's spelled I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to y'all next week. 